to everybody. I just want to welcome you guys here live, everybody that's at one of our campuses, anybody that's streaming online. We are joining in with a new series, starting a new series called The Sweet Life. It's our summer series this weekend talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we are actually going to start things off with a pop quiz, Hot Shots. So if you guys have your notes, I want you guys to look at the top of those. If you don't have them, grab a phone, grab something that you can write with because we are going to spend the next minute without cheating. God is watching each and every one of you. So don't ask your neighbor, don't grab your Bible, don't reference anything, just straight from the heart and from your memory. I want you to list out as many of the nine fruit of the Spirit as you can. There are nine of them, I promise. Um, And so I want you to take the next minute to list out as many of the nine fruit of the Spirit as you can. Your time starts now. Write them down because we will be grading you. I see a whole lot of conversations going on back there. Come on, you guys got a few more in you, I know it. Couple more seconds. All right, time's up. Put your pens down. We're going to grade you. All right? So behind me, we're going to have listed one through nine in the order that they are given to us in the book of Galatians, in the fifth chapter, where Paul wrote about the fruit of the Spirit. He listed out nine different fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to see how well you guys did. As we go through that, put a little check mark to each one, next to each one that you guys got right. And if you didn't get it right, put in the right one in the blank. So the number one fruit of the Spirit, very first fruit of the Spirit is, everybody say it with me, love. How many of you guys got love? Come on, hopefully all of us got to that point. You could have just been guessing, have never read that, and love is something you probably should have gotten. Uh, The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. A few more of you guys got joy, right? Okay, we're doing all right. Third is, everybody say it, peace. Peace. Fourth, patience. Patience, all right. Fifth one is kindness. Kindness, okay. I hear a few people starting to moan back there. Oh, I missed that one. Number six, goodness. Goodness. Number seven, 
Faithfulness. Faithfulness, okay. Number eight, gentleness. And number nine, self-control. How many of you guys got all nine of those correct from memory? Awesome. Everybody else give them a round of applause. How about eight? How many of you guys got eight? Wow, nobody got eight. Seven? Seven? How about at our campuses? How many of you guys got seven? Six? Don't lie, God is watching, he knows. And for those of you who have gotten five and under, we will have communion at the end of service this weekend. Everything will be fine, God will forgive you and he will bless you. Well, we are talking about the fruit of the spirit and in this summer series, you're gonna have all different people teaching and talking about different pieces of fruit, different uh, aspects of fruit. Uh, But the fruit of the spirit are found in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. We're gonna read that really quickly. They are words of Paul that he wrote down in a letter to the church in Galatia. And it says this, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, if you've been a believer and you've dove into the Bible, maybe you're not even a believer, but you've opened the scriptures and you've read, you've probably at some point in time landed on the fruit of the Spirit. And if you were a child raised in church, you probably learned a song or some kind of a rhyme that went along with the fruit of the Spirit, trying to memorize those. How many of those uh, that were in church, that did really good for you because you got all nine of them, right? Normally the people who raise their hand, they have told me as we were kind of doing this prior to this weekend, they said, I can remember all nine of them because of the song that I was taught as a little kid. Um, But whether you have all nine of them memorized or not, the reality of the situation is the fruit of the Spirit is something biblically um, that is very widespread in an understanding and a knowledge of at least having heard about this passage of Scripture. However, this Sunday school verse that's often used um, is very much used out of context, I believe. Because most of the time when we read this passage of Scripture, we take just verse 22 and verse 23, of which I read to you, and we put it in this nice little package with this nice little bow, and we say, okay, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, everybody needs to make sure that you, can lo- you love, you love well, that you have good joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those kinds of things, right? And that makes sense, and, and it's in a nice little package, but we have to use this in context of what Paul was actually saying, because Paul, when he wrote this letter, didn't just write one little sentence about the fruit of the Spirit. He wrote it in context of something else larger that he was encouraging this church, as well as our church and ourselves to walk in. And so we're going to look at this contextually really quickly because I think it's really important when you open God's word to not just read one verse, but to understand what God is saying through the context of everything that is written there. So we're going to read along here and we're actually going to be reading Galatians chapter five um, from verse 16 all the way through verse 24. And it says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, evil, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's where we pick up normally, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, I know that's a mouthful, so I'm going to kind of take what Paul was saying and I'm going to put it back into a nutshell, but not one that just says, hey, be good Christians, have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those kinds of things. What Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture is an age-old understanding of things that we recognize now and they've recognized for thousands of years uh, that there is a battle that goes on for every human being on the face of this planet, and it's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul says, if we allow the battle of the flesh to win, these are the things that eventually you will see come out of your life. This is the byproduct. This is the fruit of the flesh. And then he lists out a whole list of all different kinds of things and attitudes and ways of operation that if we're operating within the flesh and the natural sinful desires, these are a list of things that you might see in your life. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but in the list that he gave, there's a lot of different things, and you might very well see yourself in one of those places. You might read that list that Paul wrote there and say, well, I see myself in, in, in operation in one of these areas at times. And if you see that, what that is, is it's a trigger to let you know that that is a fruit that comes specifically from operating in the flesh. And so what Paul commissions, and he says, Listen, for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, he has given you a full impartation of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God now lives inside of you. And so rather than living by and through your flesh that produces all of this junk, I encourage you to live by the Spirit of God in you now. And if you can live by the Spirit of God appropriately, if you are walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, because we see the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. There's this battle and tension that's going on between those two things. If you are walking in the spirit, these are the things that you're going to see in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And who in their right mind would say, I don't want those things in my life, right? I think you don't have to be a believer to say that I would love to have more joy in my life, right? I would love to have more peace in my life. But the only real way to find those things is by operating from the spirit and not of the flesh. And that's the encouragement that Paul gives us. I wanna stop really quickly because I think it's really interesting. Um, you may or may not have seen this or heard this, but if you were to actually research that word fruit, that Paul uses in scripture, and obviously this wasn't written in English, it was translated into English uh, from the Greek, but Paul used a word um, that maybe more resembles the idea of a result. It, it is the word for fruit, but that fruit idea is a result, and it's a singular word. I think this is really interesting. It's a singular word. So when Paul says, 
live by the Spirit, and you will see this fruit in your life. He's not saying you will see these fruits. He's actually talking about one way of operating in life that you're going to see multiple types and facets of characteristics operating from that. So when we live in the Spirit, what he's saying is, is when we live and we operate by the Spirit, you're going to see all of these things in your life as a believer. Now here's where I want to go a little bit today. I think that oftentimes where we get off track with this verse is when we look at our lives and maybe we don't see ourselves producing the fruit of love very well. Ever been there? Maybe we see that we're struggling with peace in our life. Then we read this passage of scripture, we use it kind of as a thermostat in our life, right? And we look at these nine different fruits and we say, where, where am I kind of cold in my operation in life? I'm cold in the happiness that God's called me to have. I'm cold in self-control, right? I'm not doing very well. I'm, I need to dial up the temperature of self-control in my life. I need to get better at having self-control. And so like a thermostat, we try to turn that temperature up. We focus on the idea of making ourselves a little bit warmer, a little bit better, working uh, and, and operating better in self-control in our lives. And, and ultimately, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to will ourselves to have better self-control, right? You ever done that before? Most of us start the year off with a New Year's resolution like that, right? I'm going to will myself into getting into the gym every single day, right? I'm going to have that kind of self-control. How long does that normally last? A week, if you're lucky, right? <laughs> because the reality is, is you can will yourself to do any of these. You can will yourself to have more joy for a period of time. You can will yourself to act happy for a period of time. But the flesh is stronger than your will to be able to try to break those things in life or just try to make yourself produce this fruit. And what Paul is saying is he's not saying, hey, use this list of nine things as a thermostat in your life so that you could turn up the temperature of the ones that you're not doing well in. What Paul is actually saying is, I want you to use this like a thermometer in your life rather than a thermostat. Now, a thermometer is very different than a thermostat, right? A thermometer, all it does is assess what your temperature is. It literally does nothing else but tell you what the temperature of your body is. And so the prime temperature for a human's body is 98.6 degrees, right? So when you stick a thermometer in your mouth and, and it reads 105.6, something's wrong, right? Because you know that 98.6 is the mark that is appropriate, that's correct, that if everything is going well within your body physically, your temperature is going to be 98.6 degrees, but if you stick a thermometer in your mouth or you use one of the ones in your ear or other places in your body, um, then you, and you get a temperature of 105.6 degrees, you realize something's off, right? Now you don't look at that thermometer and use that thermometer to do anything other than tell you what your temperature is. That thermometer is not gonna heal you. It's not gonna help you. It's not medicinal. It does nothing else but reveal to you the state of your physical being, correct? Now, tell me, if you took your temperature and it was 105.6 degrees, would you think that the best thing to do would be to go drink a cold glass of ice water and then come back and take your temperature again and hope that it went down? No, that'd be foolish, right? How about take some Tylenol or Advil or something that reduces a fever 
at least the effects externally of a fever and then go take your temperature again and hope that things are gonna be well. Is that what you would do? No. That would be insane, right? If you have a temperature that's 105 degrees, you get your butt into a car and you go to the hospital and try to figure out what's going on because 105 degree temperature is telling you that something inside of you is not right. Taking Tylenol, trying to mask it with cold water is not gonna heal that thing that's not right within you. You need to figure out what's going on and how to make that healthy, right? That's why Paul wrote this passage of scripture. Paul wrote this passage of scripture not so that we can try to dial up the temperature of different things, but he, as, as a thermostat would, but he gave us this passage of scripture, these nine fruit specifically, to say, hey, use this as a thermometer, if you will, in your life to measure how well you're doing by li- in living by the Spirit. If you are living appropriately and correctly and rooted and grounded in the Spirit of God and operating from the Spirit that He has given to every believer, then you are going to see these nine things from your life. Bottom line. But if as you assess your temperature spiritually and you realize... I'm not doing so well on some of these. Paul's not saying, will yourself to love more. Will yourself to have more joy. You need to just become a more joyful person. No, Paul is saying something that's far deeper than that. And in fact, the words of Jesus, I think, is, that, is where we need to go and look to understand what we're supposed to do if we find ourselves in a place where the fruit of our lives is not what Paul lines out here as the fruit of the Spirit. And in John chapter 15, verses five through eight, Jesus has words that he says that I believe are very profound for us, for those who have ears to hear. And he says, I am the vine, speaking of himself. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, this is huge right here. Apart from me, you can do what? You can do what? Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Good. He says, you can do nothing. But if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Oh, I don't want that to be me. Now, I don't think Jesus said this to strike fear, a court of fear in people's hearts. I don't think Paul wrote this to try to condemn any one of us who sit here or any one of us who are hearing this at a campus or online. He did not write these words to try to discourage us or condemn us. But he wrote them to say, hey, if for any reason you take your temperature and you realize that spiritually you're not producing the fruit that I have called and created you to produce, then there's a way to fix that. And I, your heavenly father, am the way. You have to be rooted in me. You have to be grounded in me. Because Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the only way that you're gonna bear good fruit, the only way that you're gonna see love, joy, peace, patience, and the list of those nine things in your life is to be completely rooted in Jesus Christ. That's it. I could probably get down from the stage right now and let you go home and you would need to chew on that for a while because I've been having the opportunity to chew on this knowing where we're going, but it's a challenging thing in life. Just to know it is only one piece of that battle. 
But how do we get there? How do we get there and how do we operate? So I want to transition really quickly, just take a few minutes, and we're going to talk about the fruit of love. And we're going to talk about the fruit of love in correlation with what Paul is writing and why he's writing these words. So I'm going to have another pop quiz for you guys, all right? This one's a whole lot easier, so don't worry. You don't need to fear. You don't even need your pens, but it is in your notes. And the question is on this quiz, what is love? What is love? You ever been asked that question? You ever even pondered that? How would you define love? I don't mean like a dictionary definition of love. Don't go to Webster.com or dictionary.com. How would you define love? Would you define it as a choice? You know, when my wife and I counsel people in premarital counseling, we spend a few different weeks with them talking about all different elements of marriage. And one of the big ones that we talk about is the idea of love. Love is foundational to a marriage. And I tell people all the time, when we sit down in my office and we counsel preparing for their wedding, I say, hey, here's the deal. Love is a choice. It's a choice. But it's not only a choice. Love is also a feeling, right? But love is not just a choice and it's not just a feeling. Love is also an emotion, right? In fact, on your quiz right there, I just gave you the answer. Love is, is it a choice? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? Or is it all of the above? You see, love is this thing that's oftentimes really hard to explain because it has all of these different facets to it. And when Paul writes about love in Galatians chapter 5, we have to understand what kind of love he's talking about. And the kind of love that Paul is talking about is a love that is a fruit that comes from you operating in the Spirit. And this type of love that he's speaking of encompasses all of these understandings of love because it's a love that's preferential. It's a love that is selfless. It's a love that is given out to those around us, but even more importantly, to our Heavenly Father. It's a love that if we are properly and appropriately rooted and grounded in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within us, it's the byproduct of that relationship that is good. That's the kind of love that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about love as a thermometer, if you will. Love as a measurement in our life to find out how well we are doing in operating from the flesh or by the spirit. And when I was studying for this, in fact, in the middle of the process of kind of pondering this message and knowing that I was gonna teach and thinking about what this, how I was gonna, what direction I was gonna take with this. What direction ultimately I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to take. Um, decided we need to, I need to get my family out of the house and just kind of clear our heads, go have some fun. Um, for those of you who attend church here, you know my wife and I, Amy and I, we have six children. And so life is busy, it's always crazy. Um, we're always trying to keep those kids occupied. Um, which is not tough because they have a playmate. Every single one of them at least has one playmate, and so they go off and do their deal. But sometimes we need to just kind of, as well, get out and decompress and just let the kids run around and just have some fun. And so I was, two weeks ago, I was 
um, looking through a news, a local news website, and I saw on the website that they were talking about um, that we were having 80 degree temperatures down here. They were having 70 degree temperatures up at higher elevations. But on Trail Ridge Road, if you guys know what that is, it's out through, past Estes Park. Uh, it's above Timberline. Trail Ridge Road, while they were having like 70 degree temperatures, um, they get so much snow during the winter that there were still 10 foot um, walls of snow that were lining Trail Ridge Road. And I thought, you know what? It would be kind of cool to go up there and see that, right? We can wear short sleeves. We could go up. Kids would love to go see the snow. Let's have some fun. So we piled all of our kids into the car. Uh, Amy and I jumped in, and uh, we live in Castle Rock. So we jumped on I-25, and we started going north. And, um, you know, with six children, you're always, like I said, trying to keep them entertained. And in a car, when you're going to go drive for two, two and a half hours, um, one way, you want to try to keep sanity as best as you can in the vehicle. Um, and so we have a, uh, a DVD screen in the back for the kids. Um, and so we had that. They were watching the movie. Things were great and peaceful until one of our children, uh, one of our younger children, um, her, the battery in her headphones ran out. First world problem, Right but still a problem. And so all of my children are loud, um, and so she was very quick to let us know that she couldn't hear the movie anymore, and she needed us to fix that very promptly. And so she handed her headphones up to my wife, who was riding in the passenger seat in the front. Um, and the headphones have a little tab that you have to pry open on the headphones so that you can change the battery out. And so my wife was looking around the car to try to figure out what she could use to pry open the headphones. She couldn't find anything, and so she thought, you know what? A key would be a perfect thing to be able to try to pry that open. It will fit inside this little slot, and I could pry these headphones open. But she couldn't find a key, so she looked over and said, hey, uh, do you mind if I use one of the keys on the keychain that you have stuck in the ignition? I thought, I guess, that's fine. In fact, I said, yeah, that's, go, go for it. Just be careful. Because I'm driving 80 miles per hour north on I-25 in the left-hand lane, in the middle of traffic, so be careful. So she reaches over, and she starts prying the headphones open, and accidentally shuts the car off. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I never have. I successfully made it almost to 35 years without having somebody shut a car off going 80 miles per hour on the highway. And so I've never tried to figure out what you're supposed to do in a situation like that. They don't teach you that in driving school, right? Hey, just in case your wife happens to shut your car off while you're driving 80 miles per hour in the left-hand lane on I-25 in the middle of traffic, here's what you do, right? Nobody's prepped for that. So immediately panic struck over my heart and my mind, and I freaked out. First, I internally freaked out. Internally, I started going through, and I didn't have to try to do this. Internally, I started thinking about the fiery death that my whole family was going to have on I-25 because I, something tragic was going to happen. I was going to be a rollover accident. Somehow, I was going to flip over into the southbound lanes, and everything was done. We were all gone, right? And so, you know, I started going through this process of just vain imaginations and things. I just couldn't, I mean, it was just crazy. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't go, I can't get off left because there's no median there. And I can't go right because there's a bunch of cars over there. And I have no power to the car. Power steering's gone. I mean, I'm just like, all right, well, here it goes. And then I thought, why don't you try to turn the car back on? And the first thought in my mind at that point was, get behind me, Satan. I'm trying to figure out how to deal with this right now. But I decided I was going to put my hand to the key, and I was going to try to turn the car back on. 
And lo and behold, I know driving school doesn't teach you this, but I will teach you right now. It is absolutely 100% possible to turn your car back on while driving on the highway. Who would have known? Who would have known? Crisis averted, right? Except, after I turned the car back on, with all the things that were going on inside of me, I looked at my wife and I said, how stupid are you? I told you to be careful. I cannot believe that you would do that. And immediately, the life of everything was sucked out. The joy of taking our kids up to Trail Ridge Road was nil. The tension in the car could have been cut with a knife. My wife completely shut down. And in fact, after a few minutes, she looked at me and said, hey, I want to go home. I don't want to go up to Trail Ridge Road. So I tried to coerce her into going back up there. I tried to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that, right? But it, what was done was done. And so we pulled off the next exit in downtown Denver, turned around and drove back home. And to this day, I still have yet to be up to Trail Ridge Road to find the 10-foot drifts of snow that are probably eight feet now. Now, I felt horrible. I felt horrible. I mean, what I said to my wife was probably one of the most unloving things I could say to the person that I love the most in this world, or at least thought I loved the most in this world. But how can somebody who says they love somebody say such hurtful, unloving words to that person? Ever been there? I know I'm outing myself right now, but I know I'm also in the midst of a lot of other people that have sin in their lives, right? And I think oftentimes we find ourselves operating so unlovingly to those around us that we should and are called and desire to love the most. And I could have gone home and I could have said, man, I need to go read a book on how to love my wife more. Right? I need to go listen to a podcast about how to speak loving words. How to choke down the anger inside of you in stressful situations. Because the reality is, is our reactions in difficult and tense situations are often the things that really reveal how well we are doing here. I can will myself to love my wife and speak loving words when things are good. But when things get tough, when your car gets shut off at 80 miles per hour on the highway and you freak out, the real fruit of what's going on in here is revealed. And rather than going and trying to dial up the temperature of love in my life and figure out how I can love better, how I can speak better loving words, what I did in my life was I used that as an assessment to say, Marcus, you are living by the flesh and you are not living by the spirit right now. Rather than kick myself, walk through toxic shame, feel bad about the situation at hand, what I did is I went to the Lord I said, God, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, but what I do know is the fruit that I just experienced from my mouth and with my actions was not the fruit of the Spirit. It was not loving. And so what I need to do right now is I need to give that to you and I need to go back to you and I need to root and ground myself in you. 
And while an apology is appropriate, apologies only get you so far, right? An apology is not gonna change your life. It's not gonna make you love more the next time you find a difficult situation in your life. The only thing that's gonna change that and make good fruit in your life is by being rooted and grounded and operating by the Spirit of God, which is in you. There are many enemies of love in our lives. Many enemies of love. I listed out a few. Maybe one of these hits home with you. But if we're operating in these ways, then we are not operating in love. Enemies of love are things like pride, selfishness, lust, anger, greed, envy, judgment, vengeance, fear, immorality. And so often we get entangled in this mess of these things. And that's not an exhaustive exhaustive list. It's just a short list of things that are enemies of love. And yet, so often, we're drawn to those. I've struggled with anger for 35 years of my life. And I'm only 34 years old. (laughs) But I recognize that anger is an enemy of love. Anger... Two weeks ago was an enemy of love to my wife. It was an enemy. It was poison to my spirit. And every time I operate out of anger, I'm operating in the flesh and not the spirit. And what Paul is writing is to say, hey, Marcus, listen. When you find yourself in this place, you need to use that as a dashboard of life, as a warning light that's going off. When you say those kind of words, you need to look down and assess how you're doing. And if you find that you're not doing well, don't chase after trying to turn that light off. Chase after the cause of the issue. And the cause of the issue is here. Right? A warning light goes off on your dashboard in your car. You don't go try to figure out how to just turn the light off, right? You go go figure out what's wrong with your vehicle. And with this vehicle, I realized that there was stuff in my heart that I needed to take care of with the Lord. And I needed to operate by His Spirit. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, there's a passage of scripture that I'm sure you've heard before. We've taught about it many times here from this pulpit. But it's a passage of scripture, Jesus' words. And I think it's probably one of the most profound things if we can grab a hold of it for what Jesus was really saying and understand it. It's one of the most profound things if we apply it to our lives. And it says this, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its what? By its fruit, right? I have some fruit plants here. They're actually vegetable plants, but they produce fruit. Now, I'm not a botanist or a horticulturist, and I don't know if you are, but I would not be able to look at these plants and tell you what these plants were unless the fruit was on them, right? I could tell you very clearly that this one's a tomato plant and that this one's a jalapeno plant, right? The only reason I could tell you is by the fruit that they are producing. The only way that I know what these two things are, and I bet you the only way that most of you know what these two plants are is by the fruit on the tree. Now, if I were to go take and rip off all the fruit of these, could you tell me what these were? Most of you couldn't, right? Jesus is saying... In his words, 
If you make the tree good, the fruit will be good. If you make the tree bad, the fruit will be bad. But a tree is known by its fruit. And if you take that and you correlate it with, with, with what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, he said there's two types of fruit that you're going to see in your life. You're going to either see the bad fruit of operating from the flesh, and he lists out a whole bunch of things of what that fruit looks like, or you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit, and you're going to see these nine things in your life. And here's what's really interesting about what both Jesus and Paul say. If I brought this plant in to a nursery or a tree farm or somewhere that people knew about plants, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm having a problem with this fruit right here. It's, it's, this is a bad piece of fruit. I don't know if you guys can see this. This is, this is a bad piece of fruit. Nobody wants to eat this, right? I'd be willing to bet you that the person, the professional that I talked to would not, he would not tell me, hey, I need you to go um, get some fertilizer and I need you to get a pitcher of water and I need you to stir that fertilizer in the water and then what I need you to do is I need you to pour that over this piece of fruit and eventually that fruit's gonna be good. Eventually it'll, it'll heal itself, it'll be fine, right? No, that's insane. Nobody does that. We are all smart enough to know that bad fruit is produced because something is wrong within the plant. The nourishment of the plant is not what it needs to be. In order to make this fruit good, I don't water the fruit. I don't fertilize the fruit. I don't actually mess with the fruit at all. I only use the fruit as a determining factor of whether this plant is doing healthy or not. And if I determine that this plant is, doing, is not doing well, what do I do? I water the roots. I fertilize the soil that it's planted in. I don't even touch the fruit. I water and I fertilize the place where it's planted. And that's what Paul is telling us in this passage of Scripture. He's telling us, if you are seeing bad fruit in your life, that's okay. You can recognize that, but don't touch the fruit. Fix the roots. Figure out where you're rooted and figure out where you're grounded and why the fruit is like that. Because what he says is, you make the tree good. Jesus said, you make the tree good. And then its fruit will be good. You make the tree bad, and then its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And so as I get to the end of this message, I want to ask you the same question I asked myself. I didn't even have to ask myself. It was revealed when I was in the car. But how is your fruit? How well are you loving? And if you find yourself as probably many of us do, as I find myself, found myself two weeks ago with some bad fruit in my life, I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to repent. But don't just bring any, any form of repentance. Scripture talks about, in fact, John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. It's not in your notes. You can write it down. He talks about repentance that bears good fruit. Repentance that says, I'm going to give up 
trying to will this thing. And I'm going to go back to the highest level of operating and thinking. And the highest level of operating and thinking is by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I'm going to warn you, don't do this. Try harder. That's foolish. While you may succeed for a small amount of time, it is not what God has called you to do. He has not called us to be people who try harder. He's called us to be people who assess our lives, who recognize when we have bad fruit, and who go to him and say, here you go, Jesus. Here's my bad fruit. I plant myself back in you. I want to operate by your spirit and away from my flesh. So as we get to the end of the message, campus pastors at each of our locations are going to come up after this prayer and we're going to have a time of communion. And I would encourage you to open your hearts to the Lord during that time and bring him everything that's not good fruit in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are good to us. You are holy. I thank you for the wisdom that's found in your words, the authority that you speak them with, Lord God. And I pray for boldness for every person in this room that if there is a conviction on their hearts and in their minds of places where they are seeing bad fruit, where they are seeing a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, specifically a lack of love in their lives today, Lord God, I pray that they would be so bold as to bring that to you and to say, I'm not going to try harder. I'm going to bring this to the Lord and I'm going to root and ground myself in Him. I'm going to water and fertilize my very spirit right now and trust that by doing that over time, a good crop of fruit will be produced. So Father, we turn our hearts and our lives to you. We fully engage with you right now during this time. And we say, have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in us. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.